0: Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. So, hey crew. As 2020, otherwise known as the year from hell, draws to a close, I have some actual good news to share with y'all. First of all, if you haven't twigged to the Good Dog pod, you should most definitely add it to your downloads. This is a new podcast I'm hosting for Good Dog with the goal of reaching an even wider audience than we do here at Pure Dog Talk with great content supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. You can find The Good Dog Pod wherever you get this podcast, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Our primary topics on The Good Dog Pod are training and veterinary and breeding and legal advocacy. And I am so excited is we're going to try out a new format, we're sort of taste testing it, basically a call-in show concept with an Ask Our Advisors Q&A session with myself and Dr. Gail Watkins and Susan Patterson from the Facebook Repro Group. Our first crack at this, we're talking about that very first week of neonatal care and fielding questions from the audience, i.e. you guys. So very cool. Second of all, stay tuned for more good news in the new year. This is, in advertising speak, what we call the Big (laughs) T's. But seriously though, enjoy this month's outstanding Pure Dog Talk and Good Dog Pod episodes. Go like the Pure Dog Talk Facebook page so that you can get up-to-the-minute details And consider joining our patrons community by supporting great content at Pure Dog Talk. Most of all, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Happy holidays to one and all. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and as you guys know, I love me some rare breeds. And we have some pretty special guests today that are going to be talking about one of the least common that we're going to see here in the U.S. Not like the least, but, you know, pretty much FSS, right? The Drent. I'm going to just call them by their nickname. And Brian and Jenna O'Connor are going to talk to us and give us the real pronunciation because they're smarter than I am. And we're going to learn all about this. So I'm very excited. So welcome, you guys. Thank you. Thanks. Excellent. So, first of all, pronounce the full name of your breed for us.
1: Right. So, I get to live in the Netherlands for three years, and I got schooled a lot on this. So, I'm going to say it about as good as a North American can say it. Okay. Which is to say that it's still not very sporty. <laughs> but it's the Betreishoon.
0: Okay. That's very good. Way better. I wouldn't even try, man. So, Drent is a really pretty close to what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the approved nickname, even mm-hmm. in the Netherlands. Is okay. The Drent.
0: And so, this is a breed, this is a hunting dog, because you guys are down in Arizona going hunting right now, right?
2: Yes.
1: Correct.
0: Excellent. So, talk to us about where these dogs come from, what they were used for, their history, how you. Came across them. Obviously, you you lived in the Netherlands, Brian. So I assume that's where you met them the first time.
1: So I discovered them when I was about like eight or 10 years old uh, in in my little Simon and Schuster's book. And I thought, man, this is going to be the best dog breed for me. I mean, we used to show elk hounds and I was pretty geeked out about dogs. Then I realized... There were only a few thousand of them and they're only in the Netherlands and there was no internet back then. There was an AKC Gazette and like, right. like Dog World and that was it. Right. So I stuffed a little piece of paper in the book, closed it and put it on the shelf. Fast forward a chunk of time, I'm living in the Netherlands, I'm ready to take a dog and I keep seeing these white and brown dogs when I was out on my cycle club rides and I figured it out. I'm like, oh, this is... I called it the Dutch party hound. And like, okay. this is exactly what it is. I got to meet one of these dogs. So I messaged a couple of breeders and Rob and Teeny Key from the Gloucester, one of the most prestigious kennels in the country, wrote me back and invited me up to their house for coffee and cookies and drinks and stayed there for about four hours. And I'm like, sold i'm all in and uh so that's kind of what tipped the scale but i had known about the breed for 20 some odd years or more before i finally kind of got to meet one in person and decided to go all in when i lived in the netherlands
0: and so talk to me about the breed's history this is a breed that's been around like so many of these european breeds for a while in a reasonably similar shape is that correct
1: Right. So I'm sure you're a big fan of Craig Koishik. He's another super dog nerd and uh, yep. he's a good buddy of mine. He published my book for me. But, you know, Craig would call the Drent a land race because originally, I mean, they're about 350, almost 400 years old. Mm-hmm. They were brought up through the Spanish occupation that went all up through France, Belgium, the Netherlands, and that little bit of Western Germany. And they brought all their camp followers and their dogs, and they deposited mm-hmm. all these dogs along the way. Well, the Drent is one of these dogs that was kind of brought up through this phenomenon. And that's why, like the closest relatives are the Epignel Francois, the French Spaniel, to a lesser degree, the Heideldoctal, a small Munston lander. Mm-hmm. And then to say that the large Munston lander or uh, German longhair. Those are much newer breeds, but the German long hair is from the German side of the same border. Right, right. At any rate, the breed existed in the area for all that time, and it was one of those I got one of those, you got one of those, and they always bred the best ones to the best ones kind of thing. And part of what makes the history of the Drent really unique is the province of Drenta. Basically, that's why Drentz for the name of the province.
2: Mm -hmm. And it
1: is a province with rolling hills. It's where Vincent Van Gogh came from, Oh, Uh, you know, the guy without the ear. Right, right. And all those dark brooding skies is very typical of that landscape out there, the stormy skies and all this stuff. But at any rate, the common man, air quotes, the common man had the right to hunt. You know, 300 years ago. That wasn't normal. No one had the right to hunt. So... If you were a priest, a farmer, any professional class, you had the right to hunt. You could afford your fee or whatever and you could Mm -hmm. go hunt. That was even unique within the country of the Netherlands where hunting was reserved for nobility. Right. So you were this relatively poor person. Odds are you were a farmer and you could afford one dog. Mm -hmm. And that one dog had to be able to do... Everything. So if you were hunting fox, you used your drink. If you're hunting swan or pheasant or Hungarian partridge, that's what the breed takes its name from. That's the Patrice Hund, which Got is it. partridge dog, whether you're hunting ducks, whatever. Oh, and by the way, when you needed to cart your milk or cheese or your vegetables to market on Wednesday, you would rig up your dog and the drink would haul your goods to market for you. So that's why Craig calls them in his book a sport utility of versatile breeds because they're not light boned and racy, like your wire hairs, like some of those. Next to an epinion francois, like when I was showing Booker in Spain, I was always behind the French spaniel. Right. And by photographs, they look very similar, but a dret will look like an ox next to a French spaniel. They just have so much more bone, and even if it's a male. French Spaniel, they will look very effeminate relative to the drink So you have this stout dog that basically had to do all the stuff, everything that a farmer would need it to do. In addition to being a playmate. Right. And the Dutch farmhouse was called a hove, which is a square. So you had your cows in one part and your hay in another and so on. And the Germans would like to come across the border and steal from the Dutch so the drink was supposed to bark aggression in the breed would be a serious fault so barking on the other hand that's why they call them a property dog when somebody comes to the property you will know it because <laughs> yeah. the will announce right. the visitor right.
0: i love these sorts of stories and learning about all breeds any breed pick a breed because to me purebred dogs particularly land race through more recent They tell a story. They really are living history. And they tell the story of that place and time. And that, to me, is the absolute poetry of purebred dogs. So I love these kind of stories. And so take this dog that is now hundreds of years in the development sort of randomly and bring it to where you encountered them and brought them here to the U.S.,
1: It's kind of interesting. So, no one in my family hunted. And until I lived in Alaska, I had never hunted. I did some big game hunting. I had a very, very, very unruly Brittany. And hunting with her was a disaster. But the couple of times that it worked out, it was a lot of fun. So, I wanted to get a bird dog. I had done fostering, I had done all that kind of stuff. So, I'm like, I decided it was time that I. Mess up my own dogs. So I wanted a puppy from a good breeder and I was going to get into bird hunting because my career was taking off. And with bird hunting, they're all day trips. Right. So that's where I'm kind of like, I need this Drent and they're capable of doing just about any and everything. Maybe I hit it or maybe I didn't hit it there. So the thing is kind of interesting. I mean, when we get clients, we like telling people that. There is very little that a drent can't do or that you can't do with a drent. Like we mentioned on the good dog conversation, there would be great as an emotional support dog or a medical response dog because they really bond firmly with their owners. They would be a disaster as a seeing eye dog. right? (laughs) I mean, they have a reputation for being clowns Mm. and they have, there's the Dutch word called Ungerlund which epitomizes the breed, and it's slang for naughty. Because they are very much self-thinking, it was kind of interesting. When Jen and I drove down this year, of course, we listened to the podcast. So we, out of 27 hours in the truck, I think we hit almost everything that's on Spotify.
0: (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) That's good. That's a couple hundred episodes. That's pretty good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we pure dog talked. Our brain cells out. But, you know, the ladies that talked about the visula we're like, oh, man, they're talking about drints. They're talking about drents. because they're um, interesting. They're, they're, they're smart. They're funny. They're really close to their people. Even if they don't need to be sleeping on you, they're going to be near you. They're a kind of dog that will not thrive in a kennel environment because they build that bond with their people. And they're not going to do well without their people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't have a lot of reports of separation anxiety in the breed, but I would advocate for people to kill train them. Otherwise, yes. they're going to yeah. find something to get into.
0: They fall in the category of that smart, versatile, continental, versatile hunting dog that never should be left unattended.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're going to get bored and then they're just going to be like, well, this seems like a good idea at the moment. (laughs) Because, I mean, a dog is kind of like that toddler level of Mm -hmm. development. I mean, you would never leave your three or four year old loose in the house unless you wanted something burned down (laughs) or Crayola or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's kind of like that. I mean, they definitely have an off switch. Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. I mean, they're all just passed out in the chairs around here, but they will get bored and then Mm -hmm. they will find
0: something. Things to do,
1: right. Things to do. They're like, hey, what do you think? This could be (laughs) awesome. And then the bad thing is, since we have four of them with us, one of them is likely to go, you're right. That does sound like a great idea. (laughs) Oh my
0: gosh. (laughs) Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Embark for Breeders' all-inclusive DNA testing kit is the gift that'll keep on giving to your breeding program this holiday season. Embark hopes to bring breeders comfort and joy in December through better canine health. So stock up on kits for the winter using your Pure Dog Talk discount. Visit EmbarkVet.com and use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. Embark offers a comprehensive program for breeders centered on its industry-leading full-panel kit. One Embark for Breeders kit provides breed-relevant genetic health tests, physical traits, and genetic COI test results for your dogs. In addition, Embark offers award-winning customer service and a free consultation to answer all your genetics questions in every kit. <laughs> Visit Embark.com backslash breeders to save on better health for your dogs. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code Talk. So talk to me about the grooming. Now, this is a breed that is accepted in FSS, Foundation Stock Service, or are they... Okay, so talk to me about the grooming, whether it's just maintenance around the house, or whether it's for the field, or whether it's if you're going to actually show them in an open show.
2: Right, well, the grooming for all of that is pretty much the same. Okay. Uh, A drent really doesn't have a lot of grooming and you wouldn't treat a dog for a show much different than you would treat a dog going hunting or around the house. Nice. Uh, For the drent, a good brushing, you know, once a week, maybe more when they shed once a year. Mm -hmm. Some drents can get a little bit longer ear hair. You can either pluck it with your fingers or you can use a stripping knife and just Mm -hmm. pull that dead hair out. And other than that, they have feathering, but you really don't trim that. If you want to trim the hair and the feet, that's great. But really, they're pretty unnatural. Nice. And so from the pictures I've seen, and
0: I'm hoping you guys will email me photos that I'll include in this blog post so people can yeah. see them and how cute they are. But from what I've seen, it looks to be in terms of coat in that Irish red and white sort of Brittany level type of hair, not all the way into full-blown setter hair.
2: It's... Definitely, I think a thicker hair than you would see in an Irish red and white in a okay. Britney. It doesn't have that like fine silky texture. Oh, it's thicker. There's not a true double coat, but they do have, I guess, a little bit of an undercoat. It's a little bit fluffier. Like when my male dog goes swimming, he mm-hmm. can go swimming, come out, and there's not water on his skin. Right. So it's definitely a thicker hair, but also a very soft texture. They're very nice to pet. Right.
1: Not a wire hair type of No. Thing. No, yeah. No, they're very nice to pet. And the other thing is kind of neat, because the hair is pretty fine, unless the mud is really thick to make like dreadlocks in the hair. What they do in the Netherlands a lot is they just put the dog in the bench, what they call the kennel. Their body heat dries the dirt out, and then you take the dog outside, hit him with a pin brush, and what dirt's left just comes out and then you dump out the kennel so a lot of people are like oh it's a lot of work keeping that white hair white and we are like uh, brush your dog give him a comb right you know just like yesterday tule and isla we were hunting a pretty swampy area believe it or not in the middle of the desert and they came home gray mm. uh, from all the mm. mud clay they dried out and we have to vacuum the dirt off the floor. I mean, they're, right. they're clean. Right. They're white. It just drops off. Um, sure. Yeah, it just drops out. Now, if it's that thick, gloopy stuff that causes dreadlocks, you got to hose that out. Otherwise, it's going to be a horrible Mess. mat. But right. coat care is pretty easy. You know, when I was showing Booker in Spain, we were in Granada with him and it had been raining and I had to run him down the road because traffic was so backed up so we could get in. And I got him ringside about 20 minutes before he was supposed to be shown. And he's just covered in gray and black road, you know, just that gravel and grit and dirt. And I kind of had a panic. And uh, so I'm like, fortunately, I brought his grooming bag, which was just a, a simple canvas bag with his brushes and combs in there. And I emptied it out and I used the canvas bag to dry his fur. And then I combed him. Hit him with the pin brush and then use the boar bristle brush to kind of tidy him up. And then about five minutes later, we were in the show ring. We did our lap. I forget the name of the judge, but he was a very prestigious Group 7 judge. He pulled me aside and said, The coat of your dog is magnificent. <laughs> in his very heavy Spanish accent, what did you do to make his coat look so good? And I'm like, if you only knew, buddy, <laughs> if you only knew. but literally that's how easy the Coke care is to keep your drent looking sporty and showy. You don't need to be featured on an episode of Groomer Has It, you know. Right. Kind of. right. <laughs>
0: right. Okay. Nice. And so talk to me about sort of health and longevity and some of those things. You know, people are always wanting to learn about new dogs and find good, healthy, long-lived breeds that might be something for them to incorporate into their pack. So talk to me about that.
2: Yeah, the DRENT is, I would say, overall pretty healthy. They don't suffer from any of the cancers and stuff that some of the sporty breeds do. We do test for all the normal things like hip dysplasia, elbow dysplasia. We do eyes. We test for PRA. Really, there's not a lot of common things in the DRENT. Some lines do have epilepsy, so I can't say that it never occurs in the breed what we do as breeders, we're very conscientious about looking vertically and horizontally in the pedigree to make sure we see no dogs that have that. But other than that, I would say overall, the Drent is pretty healthy. And average lifespan would probably be 12 to 13 years. Yeah, um, typical. Not, we've seen some that have made that 16-year mark. I would right. say that's uncommon. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And so within the
0: American Kennel Club, they can participate in open shows, obviously. Hunt tests, are they allowed in pointing breed hunt tests? That's where they classify?
2: They're actually allowed in pointing breed and retrieving. Okay, They're allowed to test in both. So they're kind of unique in that they are able to do pretty much everything in terms of the hunting Mm -hmm. stuff. They can do all the regular stuff, you know, the agility, the Mm -hmm. tracking, all that. Right,
0: right. Okay, so lots of fun things to do with your drent. If you're looking for something. And one of the things that we have talked about with this breed is because it is so, you know, would like to be popular, right? Like this is a breed that people would like to have, but it's hard because there's not enough people breeding them. So what are we talking about numerically, both here and in the Netherlands in terms of, are we at the rarer than a giant panda category or, you know, where are we on that?
2: I don't know if we're rarer than a giant panda. I think in the Netherlands, the numbers we just kind of got last week was what, 3,600. And in the States, we have less than 150. And of that 150, less than 10% of those are approved for breeding. And we only maybe have at any given time two, at the most, four active breeders. So Mm -hmm. we are definitely in the realm of needing some breed fanciers to step in and really invest some time into these guys because they're amazing dogs.
0: Very cool.
2: And I think
0: that that's one of the things that we talk about a lot on this show is preservation breeding and keeping these stories, these histories, these living histories of a particular place and a particular people. Alive, I think is just an amazing thing for us all to look at.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of preferential. I mean, with Booker and Paxson, and I got to be invited to go hunting with a lot of people. A lot of people would find out, oh, and you need to come with me and, and right, we go. Right. And so I get to hunt with so many different people, with so many different dogs. And I think really most Americans, they think they want that pointer that needs to be or that setter that needs to be in a different zip code than them but they spend the whole day screaming until the blood vessels in their eyes break or they're bleeding on a whistle till somebody's eardrums have blown out or they're zapping on the dog or whatever the bottom line is most people what they really want regardless of what they say they want they really want a dog that hunts close enough in they can see the dog work that's inside of what, 120 yards or so. That's what most foot hunters actually really want, regardless of what they say, because you can get out there with them in the field and you listen to them panic about their GPS and they're yelling and whistling and carrying on. I think most people really would prefer a drink because their range is, they're not a boot polisher, right. but they're going to be out there. You're going to watch your dog hunt the whole day. If the train is really rugged, they'll fall back in a little bit. Right. And if it's really open, they're going to go out further. And they can definitely go out much further than 120 yards. But for the most part, they're going to be in contact. And that's actually part of the breed standard to be under the gun.
2: You're not under the gun if
1: you're several hundred yards out. Okay. And by the way, if you're chucker hunting and your dog's 700 yards out, you may not be able to get there. You'll never get there.
0: You'll never get there because it's going to be straight up or straight down.
1: (laughs) Right. And you would have to have one hell of a dog to stay on point that long, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 700 yards. You know, we're here in Mearns Quail Country, 700 yards out of Mearns Quail Country. The dog may as well be on point in your front yard, you, to get there, Yeah. you know, Give me a break, but you need right. the dog to range sensibly and remain
0: well. I think the use of sensibly, I think, is your key word there. I raise, as we all know, German wirehaired pointers. I have dogs that hunt in that 150 yard, good, solid Navda hunt test category, and I have dogs that are screaming down the tree line, and I have dogs that know which to do when. And those are my favorite dogs.
2: Right. <laughs> those are the best dogs. We have a couple of dogs with us here that normally this dog would be at you know sixty yards, but when he's on Merns, he'll be three hundred yards down the canyon, and he holds the birds. So they're definitely smart. They definitely know how to be sensible. Right. Um, the I think sensible are-
0: piece, I think, is one of the things. Any meat hunter, and I grew up hunting with a meat hunter. My dad, that was all he was, and yeah. uh, he didn't worry about anything other than bringing birds home. And yeah. for that sort of a hunter, this is definitely. Sounds like a fun, fun breed to watch work.
2: It is fun to work. And they're definitely what you said about for that kind of hunter, for a hunter that really wants to be a team with their dog, Mm -hmm. whether it's that 40 yards or 200 yards, the Drent is going to be that teammate you want to work with.
1: Right. We'll tie that into training with the Drent. It's even part of the breed standard that the use of force is not appropriate for the breed. That's actually part Um, of the whole thing, right? So if you're the kind of trainer, we're about the same age. Mm-hmm. You know, We mm-hmm. taught basic obedience. Oh, that, yeah. that was a lot of cracking on that old uh, choker collar. What? Yep. That's not going to float very well with the Drent, that kind mm-hmm. of traditional obedience mm-hmm. for field workers. If you're the kind of person that just loves to, to touch that magic button on the control, that's really not going to go well with a dog. I mean, we now have my first 100% force free trained dog. Oh, She's phenomenal. Oh. Nice. And that's even in her field training, 100% force free. Nice. Um, And she's an incredibly high drive dog. Well, how do you control a high drive dog in the field? Well, you have to make it believe that you are integral to its success. And then once you do that, the rest of the chips just fall into place. And I love it. I don't have to yell in the field, there's no zapping going on. There's none of that. It's completely unneeded, and it turns out that I think it's more appropriate for more breeds than most people would like to admit. But for this breed, it's perfect.
0: Absolutely I fabulous! Do. All right. Well, I am very excited to show my listeners these pictures that will be in the blog post and all of this fabulous information about your breed. And I look forward to watching them move forward in the American Kennel Club and get more numbers and get to see them in the sporting groups and. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Got
1: it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Finger, yeah. Excellent. Fingers crossed.
0: Well, you guys, thank you so, so very much. I really appreciate it. I love, love learning about new breeds and this is a fabulous one. So I'm glad that we could share that with my peoples. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review.